Hello and welcome to the Gridiron Show and a Merry Christmas to you all. I know it's been a bit of a tough week for a lot of people, but we have Christmas football to look forward to. No one is going winless this season, which I guess is something we should celebrate, Liam. And um, yeah, there's loads of talking points look around at the NFL. Uh, oh, buddy. Look it, at his face. It's the ultimate kind of dichotomy, isn't it? The, the, do you want to be an 0-16 team? Do you want a generational quarterback? Keeping our fingers crossed for you when the Bears face the Jags this week, mate. Um, that- Liam's getting neither. <laughs> Call in the stocking, that's what I've got. Uh, so yeah, we will go through as always, pour through the big talking points from the NFL in the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll also have some likes, dislikes, some unsung heroes uh, ahead of, like I say, Christmas Day football coming up in a couple of days. I'm Will Gavin, joined by Gridiron editor Liam Blackburn and by Simon Clancy, features editor. Gents, are you well? Are you feeling in the festive spirit? Uh, I'm very much Scrooge after Sunday, mate. Although I've wake, woken up to loads of Zach Wilson highlights on my timeline, so I'm, I'm back. <laughs> I love Christmas, but I'm not feeling the joyous Christmas spirit of, of old, but uh, maybe we'll get there, so no, it's all good. We'll all get on a Zoom at 9.30 on Christmas Day. We'll all watch Saints-Vikings together, have a drink, and it'll be a whale of a time for everyone involved. Let's start off with the good. And I kind of want to roll the two first ones into one another in a question to you because we saw the Bills putting up 48 points this Saturday night and just Josh Allen continue this, I mean, making a mockery of the way that most of us expected him to be going into the season and looking genuinely, astonishingly good doing so. We also had what we expected to be the game of the weekend that ended up being... Close to it, at least a very, very good game uh, between the Kansas City Chiefs and the New Orleans Saints. Kansas City doing just enough. So two offences I certainly would quite like to see in an AFC Championship game. Are we that hyped on the Bills that we think that they are the level where they could potentially go to Arrowhead Simon and challenge the Chiefs? I think they've got the all-round game to do so. Whether or not they can keep up with the Chiefs, that is another matter. But offensively, they match up very well. The things that they do well perhaps some of the chief weaknesses. You know, they don't have a cornerback that can cover Stephon Diggs. The transformation of Josh Allen is astonishing. You know, he is a, a complete outlier. I've never seen the quarterback develop in the one area that it's almost impossible to develop in, which is accuracy. And that's improved so dramatically. I know his mechanics have been broken down and reconstructed completely, which has obviously done wonders for him. The one thing that concerns me about Buffalo is that the running game really struggles. You know, they're just not able to get any traction at all with Devin Singletree or, or Zach Moss. And actually, you know, you're relying a lot on Josh Allen to pick up yards. He's such a, an enormous human being. He's very tough to bring down. But you also want to protect him. You don't want to get him hit all over the place, left, right and centre to try and win you a game. You want him stepping back in the pocket and doing what he's been doing so well to an almost MVP level this season, which is slinging it around the park. They're picking up defensively at the right time. You know, they've had some injuries, but guys seem to be getting back healthy. Ed Oliver's playing really well. Matt Milano's back. You're looking for a team that's starting to make a bit of a push, starting to come together at this time of the year. And it feels like the Bills might just be one of those teams, well coached, good on special teams. So, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying they can go to Arrowhead and win, but I think they'd, they'd provide an awfully tough matchup for the, for the Kansas City Chiefs. And I really can't see any other, any other AFC Championship matchup than those two. I have to say, I do like the Titans as well. The Titans are, along with the Chiefs, the top scoring team in the NFL. And it's, you know, points per game, but not a lot of those points are coming from their defence, as we well know. But Liam, I guess the question is, when it comes to the Chiefs, 
They haven't had a multi-score win since they beat the Jets. Didn't come to you for that on purpose, I promise. On the 1st of <laughs> November. <laughs> on the 1st of November, you know, five wins coming by a score or less. Is that a case of the Chiefs just coasting? Could they just get to a better team and go, oh, look, here's third gear, away we go? I think it would be a slight concern, but then at the same time, you look at, I think the Saints defense actually did a really good job on Sunday coming out of the blocks. Five of the first seven Chiefs drives ended in punts. And, you know, that is a huge victory against Mahomes and that offense. But they came out second half, made some adjustments. And the way Mahomes plays, it, it just looks like we've sort of taken for granted now these amazing throws on the run, the way he gets out of the pocket, keeps things alive. And there's, there's just, I mean, who do you take away? Do you take away Tyreek Hill? Do you take away Travis Kelsey? They've just got so many ways to beat you. And, the stat that stood out to me was he's faced a top ten, a top five defense nine times in his career. The Chiefs are nine and zero in that time and averaging twenty nine points a game. So you're not going to beat this team by being a, just being a really good defense. You're going to have to be good offensively. And you know you talk about the Bills there that they obviously played each other earlier in the season, which was one of Josh Allen's worst games. He only had 122 uh, passing yards, but that was a game that was played in horrendous conditions, awful conditions, really. And I guess the only other team in the AFC that you. You mentioned they're the Titans that can keep up with them. Is The Titans obviously need to get ahead so they can run Derek Henry into the ground multiple times. If they fall behind against the Chiefs, I just don't see them getting back into it. We saw it in the playoffs last year when they went up and then the, the Chiefs rallied back and, and the Titans just didn't have enough. And that would be my worry that any team that faces the Chiefs, you're going to have to score 30-plus points. And the Bills are perhaps the only team in the AFC that can do that. Look at the last two weeks as well. You know, they've played the Dolphins, a really good defence, four turnovers. Dolphins got them to punt four times, I think. You just mentioned that stat there, having to punt five times in the first seven possessions. And yet, they still scored 30-plus points in both games. Mahomes pulling tricks out of the bag left, right and centre. They're just impossible to to stop. And it's a, it's ominous for the rest of the AFC when you consider that they're so young still generally as a team, that they could just dominate the conference for the next 10 years if Mahomes stays healthy. One of the most 2020 moments of all time just happened. For people who aren't watching this on the uh, YouTube show, Simon Clancy wanted to make a point off the back of Liam's point. And rather than just give me a little kind of wave, he actually raised his hand on Zoom. It happened. I gave you a wave as well. but Uh, Well, I was reading my notes, so I wasn't paying. Exactly. I can only apologise. The other team that have made it into the good somehow this week, having spent a lot of this season sitting in the ugly or bad category... Are you going to get uh, it's not the Jets, I'm sorry. <laughs> Look, we're uh, going to get onto the Jets and there's going to be some positivity around the AFC East on the way because we haven't mentioned it yet, but the Patriots aren't going to the, the playoffs, so all the Super Bowl is what I nearly said. But the Bears, the Bears' offence, admittedly behind a run game rather than a quarterback, but it's suddenly turned up. Is it turned up enough to start saving jobs of anyone or... Is this a little bit like we've seen in, in other seasons where a bad team has a, a late flurry, but it's not quite enough, Liam? Well, they have played some some weak teams last three weeks. Um, Lions, Texans and Vikings, OK, improved, but still not their sort of middle of the pack defence. But the difference has been David Montgomery, you know, 434 yards across the past four games. 98 of his 146 yards here were after contact. He created 10 first downs alone, which sustained drives, which has always been an issue for the Bears. And obviously, Trubisky's come back in here, 
past three weeks and has looked good, but they had more rushing attempts and passing attempts here. The thing that Trubisky gives them is he's obviously way, way more mobile than Nick Foles, and that opens things up for Montgomery. Opens, makes life easier for the offensive line and that he can get away from pressure. And in terms of saving jobs, I think it probably does save um, Matt Nagy's job. I think if they make the playoffs, he'll be back. I mean, the worry if you're if you're a Bears fan, I think obviously you're not a Bears fan, but from those I speak to, is that. Trubisky plays well enough across these past sort of end of season stretch that you're convinced into finding a way to keep him on next season. You know, you've had four years of Mitch Trubisky. You very much know what he is. He can't be back as a starter next year. I don't think that Ryan Pace should be back as the general manager. But certainly I'm looking at it and thinking Matt Nagy probably will get another job. And it's ironic, really, because it's not been Matt Nagy's offense, has it? It's been Bill Lazor that's been calling the shots recently and has kind of transformed this team. Like Liam just said, you you do not want to see any more of Mitch Trubisky. But they're winning enough games to find themselves in a position where draft-wise, they're probably going to miss out on the top four quarterbacks. So where do they find themselves? You know, Do they make a run for someone like Mac Jones of Alabama? Or do they wait and take someone like Carl Trask or Desmond Ridder? And does that mean that you almost by default have to go with Mitch Trubisky to start the season? I think there'd be an absolute revolt in Chicago, the wonderful city of Chicago, if Mitch Trubisky kicked off as starting quarterback of the Chicago Bears in 2021. I actually don't think Matt Nagy will save his job. He's essentially been saved by David Montgomery. The defence is sort of beginning to fall off a cliff a little bit. The pass rush is really struggling. And the fact they're in the playoff race says more about the moribund uh, NFC than it does about the the Chicago Bears. I think um, that's a poor team with a poor quarterback and it's been poorly coached. And I think ultimately what needs to happen is a complete clean sweep. Whether that does remains to be seen. Yeah, the but, other problem with Trubisky is obviously they didn't pick up the fifth year option. So yeah. what do you do? Do you, do you franchise him and pay him ludicrous money? Yeah, exactly. Sign oh, to a one-year deal or... I, I think you almost have to let him go out and test the market and see what's out there, realise that no one is going to be willing to pay him $20 million plus and then try and get him back on the cheap, particularly considering that the way that they structured the Nick Foles contract means that if they were to cut him or move on from him this season without it being a trade, there's over $14 million in dead cap this year on Nick Foles. So it's not a good situation unless they go and get a cheap rookie who turns out to be a success, unfortunately. There we go. We managed to talk, turn a positive Bears chat into a negative one. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and that leads us nicely on to the bad of the week. I'm not going to start on the Jets. I'm not going to start on the Jets because Sorry, what Lee. I want to do is raise Liam Blackburn up before we drag him back down again. The New England Patriots haven't made the playoffs for the first time since Matt Castle led them to somehow 11-5 and five and they didn't make the playoffs. If they lose this weekend, it will, or in what, any of the next two weeks, it will be their first losing season since Bill Belichick's first season in charge. He said they sold out to win those Super Bowls and now they are reaping the, not rewards, what's the, <laughs> reaping what they sow, I guess. I'm sure they're delighted to have the rings, but at least we can cling on to the fact that we're not having to watch New England in January. Can I just say that at the very start of this season, uh, we came on the podcast and did our season predictions with Kaylin, and I said that the Patriots would have a losing record and not make the playoffs. And Matt Sherry <laughs> then the editor of Gridiron. Interesting you make it now. sound like he lost his job over this prediction. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's not the editor of Gridiron. Said that that was never going to happen. I mean, the king of hyperbole said they were almost certainly going to make a run and he would be surprised to see them in the AFC Championship game because Cam Newton is one of the greatest signings of all time. Cam Newton has fallen apart like a matchstick man in a gale. I mean, his body is broken 
to the nth degree. It was it was actually quite painful watching them try and get anything going against the Dolphins at the weekend. The great stat for you, I think this is the first time that they start as an underdog, a six-point or more underdog against a team from the ASE since 2001 in terms of betting, which is a, an astonishing testimony. I mean, as much as we take the mickey, it is an astonishing testimony to their the longevity. But um, they just don't have the horses offensively. You know, there's nobody at tight end that can make a catch. Devin Asiati and, and Dalton Keane have just really struggled. The running game, they, they missed Damian Harris at the weekend. He was out. And Sony Michelle kind of plugged his way through. The, you know, there's three or four good offensive linemen. David Andrews went out. The receivers just can't get open. Nikhil Harry just looks like a, a, a massive bust. Uh, and defensively, it was really just Lawrence Guy. Uh, you know, there's a couple of young players on defense, Josh Uche and, and Winovich, who are playing well. JC Jackson should have gone to the Pro Bowl, I think, probably. Beyond that, it's uh, it's an unmitigated disaster. And you just wonder how they're going to get back in. Do, you know, will, um, will Belichick draft a quarterback? Again, he'll find himself in a similar situation to the Bears in terms of probably finding himself out of those top four players. Will they be able to trade up? But it was, um, you know, as somebody who supports the Dolphins, but also just despises Patriots fans generally it was great to see and it's magnificent they're not going to be in the playoffs I can actually not worry about it this year the hope that they don't get to the get to the Super Bowl which they inevitably do and this year it's um I don't have to worry about that I can just yeah, enjoy the playoffs when we're not going frustratingly uh Liam take some joy in this please because not only of all those things true of what Simon said about their offense but the defense so vaunted is aging on big contracts. Yes, they're going to have some guys come back who took the year off because of COVID, but I think maybe we should have read more into Bill Belichick trying to ship Stefan Gilmore before the season and realised that he knew that this was not a good Yeah. Time. The first few weeks were a bit of an outlier, really, and, you know, that was when Cam had Edelman, and they, they sort of, they looked quite good for a few weeks, but that receiving core might be the worst receiving core in the league. Jacoby Myers... Uh, and Keel Harry, Demir Bird, there's just no one there that you think that you could hang your hat on. Um, as Simon said, the running game on offense is, has been poor and defensively they've taken a massive step back and, and that is that has been enough for this. And I think, you know, Belichick doesn't really get much criticism for the kind of the drafting he does, but certainly offensively he's left them with a massive holes everywhere. They clearly don't like the look of Jarrett Sturton because at this point, you should be rolling him out to see what you've got there. You know, you know what Cam is. He's probably not going to be back next year. If he is, he's going to be back as a veteran backup. And yet, Jarrett Sturm is not being rolled out. Clearly, they don't fancy the look of him. And yeah, it's it's remarkable, really. First losing season since since Belichick's first season. Is it if they if they end up with a losing season this year? Astonishing, yeah. And, and I mean, there's probably a guy in Tampa Bay that's big smiles about this as well because even though his season hasn't gone quite as well as planned, I think Tom Brady made a great decision to get out of there and and further his career. I've been working on the uh, on the breakfast show this week on the early morning, so I've been not able to stay up for the late games. And I woke up on Tuesday morning to go into work, and I thought, oh, Monday night football's on. I'll just pop it on and watch it for 10 minutes while I'm getting myself ready, then pop it on in the, in the taxi on the way in. There has been a trend in the NFL in recent years, and we've done it on this show, to talk about X being the worst insert record here team we've ever seen or the best you know the bears are the worst five and one team i think i've ever seen and there were a lot of people saying the steelers had to be the worst 11 and 0 team they'd ever seen so much so i went through and i did the statistical analysis of it are these but called the, sherryisms they sherryisms exactly i'm convinced that matthew sherry has infected the world <laughs> of sport journalism and not necessarily in the way that he hoped he had but it looks like people might have been right about the Steelers. 
they were absolutely dire on Monday, like horrendously bad. I mean, they could have lost. They lost by 10 points against the Bengals. I think it's the Ryan Finley Bengals. And had he made a few more throws that he should have done when receivers are wide open, this could have been an absolute beatdown. You know, they look broken, the Steelers. I, I don't know how you fix this. Um, Roethlisberger looks done. He's making terrible decisions. He can't find receivers. The running game, they've had one 100-yard rushing game in the past nine games. The offensive line can't get any push. Uh, Carl Lawson and Sam Hubbard were pressuring um, from both sides of, of the line throughout this game. And then the receivers, you know, we've talked about how good that's a good young group of receivers in this dink, dink and dunk offense. But who, when the game's on the line, and we spoke about Josh Allen earlier, you know, he can go to, he needs a third down completion. He goes to Stephon Diggs, he goes to Cole Beasley. When John Bryan's back, he's got him as an option. Who in this Steelers receiving group can you put your hat on and say, that's the guy I'm going to on third, fourth down when the game's on the line? When the game was on the line here, they threw the ball to James Washington, who hadn't caught a pass all game. It's just, yeah, it's it's dire. And, I mean, you know, the defence defense is still playing at a relatively high level. I think they've taken a bit of a step back since Bud Dupree got injured. But the offence hasn't scored 20 points in four straight games. You know, you can't do that in the 2021-day NFL. And there's a few rumblings now about the defence being a bit annoyed because the offence aren't pulling their weight. And, you know, they're going to absolutely limp into this postseason now. And I would not be surprised at all if it's a first round exit. You know, last two weeks, Colts and Browns, I can see them losing both of those two games. And imagine if they end the season with a five game losing streak and limp into the playoffs. As a Dolphins fan, I think if we get into the playoffs, that's the one team you want to face in the first round because they're so vulnerable. They look so old and tired. Ben looks so old. You know, the inability to run the ball at all. And you make a great point. It feels like Chase Claypool is the, the most reliable of those receivers. Juju Smith-Schuster's future sort of fallen off a bit of a cliff. You, you know, he really just hasn't trained on the last year and a half, which is really disappointing. But yeah, I mean, kudos to the Bengals as well. You know, they played tough, you know, especially without Joe Burrow, especially without Joe Mixon. But, you know, T Higgins developing into a really nice talent. And, and, and like Liam says, it could have been a significantly worse defeat had Ryan Finney hit some of those passes that you expected him to hit. I, to give him his credit, I thought he ran the read uh, option really well. And that was a great touchdown. I mean, uh, the cameraman did a fantastic job of actually following him because it, I was still thinking that Gio Bernard had the ball when he was, by the time Finley got to about the eight yard line, I was like, I'm pretty sure Bernard doesn't have the ball here. Kudos to the Bengals. Kudos to Zach Taylor. I don't know whether he retains his job, but I suspect he probably will. And that's the sort of thing that, you know, you tell you can show ownership and say, look, my players did not give up on me. It's still, it's week 15. You know, this Steelers team's only lost a couple of games and here we are taking them down So um, on Monday Night Football. So kudos to the Bengals. You don't say you haven't said that very often in the last few years. And then we get to the other issue. The other member of the bad one. Trevor Lawrence spends his Monday morning on the phone to JetBlue saying, sorry, I need to change my flights. I'm no longer going to be landing in JFK. I'm now heading to Jacksonville International Airport, Duval County, because... The Jets managed to win a game of football pretty impressively. Defensively, they were excellent. The Rams do tend to have these awful games in them, and they have done a couple of times a season. Even their Super Bowl run, they have one or two games where they just completely... It tends to be in division, though. It tends to be against teams that know them well. Puts paid to that idea that teams tank, I guess, because you saw how much the players enjoyed the victory. But it's fair to say, Liam, that the fan base didn't feel the same. Yeah, even when we win a game, we end up in the dislike section, which kind of sums up really. And I've just uh, I put off the the next issue of Gridiron last week and uh, tipped the Rams to be my NFC uh, Super Bowl uh, representative. So it was just all coming up roses for me. I mean, talk, um, us through, talk us through that in all seriousness. I know you've been taking the Mickey, but yeah. talk 
feel that that feeling of kind of what it was like watching that disintegration of the Rams at the end, and also kind of how you feel because I know how I felt when when it looked like the Dolphins weren't going to get the, the number one overall pick and lose the possibility of drafting two. We know how that all worked out, but. It's such a strange sensation, like, this season in terms of, like, I've tried to describe it to people who are like, why are you actively rooting for your team to lose games, you know? And you, as you say, you know this yourself as a Dolphins fan from the Tank from Tua thing. And it, it's not nice, like, the Raiders game where you were, you were actively hoping that the Raiders were going to find a way to beat your team. And I've said to a few people, I'm, I'm quite glad that fans haven't been in the stadium because if you, in a way, because can you imagine that Raiders game which was played at MetLife when... You know, there would have been wild cheers everywhere. And that's not fair on the players who are still given the rule, you know, every week. And the 0-16 thing never really bothered me that much because people don't really... I know people talk about the ignominy of it and the, the Lions being the first team, but no one really talks about the Browns going 0-16 a couple of years ago anymore because they're looking really good now. They got the, they might not have got their answer at quarterback, but they've got a decent quarterback at the very least. And But I'm, I'm pleased for the players like Frank Gorey made the game-clinching catch at the end. You know, he's... 89 and doesn't want to like end his career with a 0-16 season I'm pleased for Marcus May who's been absolutely fantastic this year I'm pleased for Quinn and Williams who played better than Aaron Donald in this game I'm pleased for Sam Darnold who you know has spent the entire season with people talking about how he's not the answer and how they want him to lose because they want another quarterback I'm pleased for the rookies Braden Mann the punter who <laughs> made an outrageous tackle at the end um, even bless his cotton socks Adam Gaze you know uh, while he's clearly not a very good coach, I don't think he. it's for a want of trying. I think he's given everything. I think the players have kind of, they've not given up on him. So I'm pleased for all that. But having said that, you know, I'd watch the Clemson game on the Saturday and I'd sort of completely sold myself on the idea of Trevor Lawrence absolutely demolishing that Notre Dame defence. And yeah, it's one of those, I think, just moving on to sort of kind of looking at next year, presuming the Jets don't have the number one pick. I know you think that they should perhaps look at Darnold and, the the examples there with Ryan Tannehill, once you get a quarterback away from Adam Gaze, how they can improve, I just don't see it with Darnold this year. I think if you put together a five-minute highlight compilation on YouTube, you could make him look absolutely fantastic because there's one or two plays every game which just make you go, wow, and think there's definitely something there. But I've watched every throw he's made this year and there are so many head-scratching decisions. He hasn't progressed at all. He's thrown six touchdowns in 10 games. Joe Flacco outperformed him with the same weapons and the same offense earlier this season. So, I mean, Simon's obviously a better place to comment on the draft class, whether they go Justin Fields, Zach Wilson, who had a crazy night last night for BYU, looks really good. And I guess the other thing that you kind of hold your hat on to is as much as Lawrence looks like a, a slam dunk, can't miss prospect, you know, that was the same with Andrew Luck in that 2011 draft, I think it was. Well, if you redid that draft again now, Russell Wilson would be the first pick. Michael Vick was the slam dunk pick the year he came out. Drew Brees would now be the first overall pick in that draft. So, yeah, you've got to kind of hope that they find something there. But it's I was just looking forward to the next 10 years of watching Trevor Lawrence and thinking what could be, especially when you've not had a quarterback for so long. Um, and I've rambled on here far too long, but uh, yeah, if anyone else wants to... I, I, I don't, I don't think you have. And, and look, I, as much as I, I want to hear from Simon about the quarterback class in terms of those behind him, that's, that's certainly what I want to hear if it's going to be end up that he ends up in Jacksonville. But also the other suggestion I've seen come out, well, there's, there's three choices, isn't there? You take the quarterback the second choice quarterback, whoever that is in you, in the team's mind, in, you know, Joe's mind, in whoever's mind, you trade the pick away and maybe somebody has fallen in love with someone and they'll throw picks at you and you say, look, we've got to keep rebuilding or you take the best player available. And I have seen some people suggest that 
even though it's taken two left tackles in two years, that you bring Penny Sewell in and you make them, you move one of those two guys, him on Mackay Beckton to right tackle, and you have two guys who are in their first two years in the league and might be the best bookend tackles anywhere in the NFL. So Simon talked to us about those quarterbacks, but also that possibility of switching one of those guys on the line. Where do New York stand? I'm going to make a Sherryism here because to me, Trevor Lawrence is the best quarterback to come out since John Elway. Uh, the game has progressed so much, even since Andrew Luck, certainly since Peyton. I watched a lot of Peyton's throws when he was at Tennessee. I watched a lot of Andrew Luck at Stanford. And I genuinely believe that because of his multidimensional ability, you know, and Andrew Luck could obviously run the ball, but Trevor Lawrence is a significantly better runner than, than uh, Andrew Luck. He's got a better arm than both of those quarterbacks. We're, we're entering a situation now as Clemson playing the, the playoff semifinal. He's lost one game in college, and that was a national championship game. So he's won a national championship. He's lost a national championship, and he's it's going to be Alabama against Clemson in the national championship game this year. So he's going to essentially have finished each of his three years in the, in the uh, championship game, which in itself is astonishing. It's such an interesting question for the Jets, what they do. Do they keep Donald and build around him? Because you lose Lawrence and the, the drop-off is fairly significant, especially if you're talking about somebody who's the best quarterback since 1983. Wilson would be the next cab off the rank. I think he's better than Justin Fields. Justin Fields, has really struggled this year at times. You know, he looks ponderous. His clock, internal clock, just doesn't seem to be working uh, nearly as well as you'd expect it to, especially given the talent he's got at receiver and also on the offensive line. When you look at Thayer Mumford and Nicholas Petit Frere as his two tackles, the big centre that they've got who'll go early, the guy Wyatt Davis will go early. So, you know, he's got the talent there. Wilson, as, as, uh, as Liam said, was throwing the ball all around the place. Like he had 205 yards passing at the end of the first quarter. He had a catch. He had two runs. I mean, he he can do everything. He's a sort of a, a taller Baker Mayfield, if you like, I suppose, but a bit more. He's got a much stronger arm. Uh, then you're looking at Fields. Then you're looking at Trey Lance, who's, who's only played one game this year, who plays at you know small school, North Dakota State, where Carson Wentz came from. Lance, I, I really like him. I think he's a really good player. But, you know, he won't have played for... He'll played one game in almost two years by the time if he starts week one of the NFL next season, which is the same for when you're looking at people like Penny Sewell, when you look at Micah Parsons, when you're looking at Jamar Chase, it'll almost have been two years, which is the extraordinary thing for this draft and the way that this year has played out. And you talk about Penny Sewell, it's such an interesting decision because actually you could what you could do with Sewell is you could put him at left guard. You turn him into Larry Allen, essentially, because you know he has, certainly has the body type. He's such a devastating run blocker. And then you'd have Mackay Beckton at left tackle and and um and Penny Sewell at left guard, which just gives you the best left side of the offensive line in in the league. And you can find right tackles anywhere. You know, you could draft a guy like Abraham Lucas of Washington State later on and play him right tackle. So it's a fascinating decision. Or do you take a massive haul? I think teams are going to be really excited about about uh, Zach Wilson as we get closer and closer to the draft and as they get their hands on him. And I think the Jets will be offered a significant bounty to trade down. And so the decision comes, do you trade down with you know three, four, five picks in the first couple of rounds over the next couple of years and build around Sam Darnold? Do you take a risk on somebody like Matt Jones, who's a sort of Jared Goff, but with a, a little more accuracy certainly a better deep ball a kind of game manager or do you look at somebody like Cincinnati's Desmond Ridder who's had a really strong season really athletic it's such an interesting decision for the Jets and and I really you know Joe Douglas was literally just sitting there cigar on thinking you know I'm going to draft Trevor Lawrence and I'm going to look fantastic and now all of a sudden he's really got work to do so as Liam said look if Ryan Tannehill can do it if Josh Allen can do it. There are, you know, you can transform a quarterback. That has been proven. Alex Smith, you know, had a career renaissance after a difficult time in San Francisco. It can happen. So why can't it happen to Sam Darnold? The one thing I would say is 
I think they've got the right guy, general manager and Joe Douglas, to turn this around. They've got a load of cap space next year. They've got a load of high draft picks. You know, if you look at his first draft class, there has been a lot of hits. There's been a, a lot of young players that have looked really good. Some of the guys he's brought in free agency, John Franklin Myers looks really good. Um, and they've got a lot, they've got some young pieces there. So there are reasons to be optimistic about the future. But yeah, it's kind of hard to, to look past the fact they might have missed out. As someone who obviously follows the, the draft process less than Simon, but has seen just how exciting Trevor Lawrence is, and I'm going to annoy a fan base here, and I'm going to annoy a sizable UK fan base considering the size of the team. And in a way, I'm going to annoy myself because we get to see him every season if he ends up in Jacksonville. I don't want Trevor Lawrence in Jacksonville based on the way that they've built rosters, the way that they've handled their front office, their general manager, their head coaching situation, just the general way that team has been run over the years. They do not strike me as a team that will turn themselves into a winner, even with a guy that good. And it's annoyed me. It's genuinely annoyed me. What I've heard from Lawrence, he's kind of going to be happy to go where where he wants to go, but you know, there was a lot of suggestions that he wouldn't be happy to go to the Jets and he would kind of, kind of try and find his way out of that. Do we think that's possible with Jacksonville? Do we think he'd rather go to a big media market and be like a big-time yeah, player somewhere? exactly. Get a chance to go to the Jets, who haven't had a good quarterback since the 1960s, and go and transform that franchise yeah. in the biggest media market with a great fan base, a vociferous one. I mean, if you've got the ego that a young quarterback should have, you should be relishing that chance. I never believed that he would ever pull an Eli Manning. That's just not his MO. No, I don't think so. That's never struck me as something he would do. And also, you know, if you're if you're not going to sign up for the Jets or the Jaguars and, you know, you go back to Clemson for another year, you've got nothing to prove and you could risk an injury. But what if you do? I mean, you might be looking at the Detroit Lions or that, you know, is that an any better option? I don't think it is. I mean, what you're talking about is being the first pick of the draft. By the very nature, you're almost certainly going to a bad team. That's a fact. I never bought the fact that Trevor Lawrence was ever going to, you know, sit games out or or pull an Eli. That just doesn't, that's never been part of his makeup. The other thing I was going to raise about whoever, if it's not Donald, if they go for a rookie quarterback starting next year, <laughs> he's going to be under enormous pressure with that fan base just because he's not Trevor Lawrence. If fans are back in the stadium and they're going to be right. like, oh, Zach Wilson, well, you're not Trevor Lawrence. And we know what New York fan bases can be like. That's going to be, you're going to have to have incredible mental strength to be able to cope with that right off the bat it's amazing it's that being the guy after the guy despite the fact the guy never was the guy like <laughs> yes following sir alex ferguson but sir alex ferguson was never actually a manager just maybe was gonna be just ridiculous uh look we spent a long time on that but as we should have done so let's uh rattle through the ugly uh a little quickly uh, starting off with Dwayne haskins in washington yeah you finally get your opportunity to go back in to try and win some games of football, to maybe take your team to the playoffs on top of that. And uh, yeah, you get caught not wearing a mask in a strip club. You can argue about the way he was treated by Ron Rivera early on, what you think of him as a quarterback, what you thought about his early antics, but that is utter stupidity all ends up in an age where we are dealing with a global pandemic. It just beggars belief, Simon. It is one of the most brainless things I've ever heard. Unfortunately, I think the clock is very much ticking on Dwayne Haskins now. I think, you know, it's going to be, I think within a season and a half, he'll probably even be out of football. You know, his on-field talent has been so average and below average. And then just a a completely brain-dead 
decision. If you can't lead yourself, you can't lead others. And he patently can't lead himself. Even in that situation where he could have led that team to the playoffs, maybe have one decent playoff game. We've seen quarterbacks build career backup careers off the basis of one decent season. And that means, you know, 10 or 15 years of earning a couple of million dollars a year, at least uh, more if you're a decent backup, like even that it's not the career you maybe wanted coming into the NFL, but it's not a bad career option. And you're killing that off as well. One of the issues coming out was mental processing. That was an issue for him at Ohio State. It's been a massive issue for him in Washington on the field. And now patently it's been an issue for him off the field because, you know, Baker Mayfield had a great quote the other day, which was how he sort of changed himself off the field is he thinks about scenarios and says, would an idiot do this? And he says, if the answer is yes, I don't do it. And in the past, when the answer has been yes, I've done it anyway. Dwayne Haskins needs to essentially ask himself, would an idiot do this? And yes, an idiot would go to a strip club, hang around with strippers and not wear a mask during a global pandemic when you're essentially living in something of a bubble, hanging out where you're reliant upon, or 53 people plus a load of coaches are reliant upon you. And now you're the starting quarterback as well because of injury. So would an idiot do it? Yes, Dwayne did it. And uh, I think his time in the NFL is uh, NFL not for long, especially in the Dwayne Haskins case. Did I also read that he was there with his girlfriend? Nice. Which, I mean, uh, that side of, I'm just like, what? Why would you? Uh, just, uh, just an incredible sight. I was just like... Oh my God. I, and I'm not, the thing is, I'm not here to shame, you know, the, the industry or people who go to strip clubs or anything like that, you know, We've all done uh, it. more power, <laughs> more power. But I just, you know, the, the situation, who you are, everything taken into account, idiocy. This is the, our version of rattling through things. Um, Liam, the Raiders fire Paul Gunther and still give up 30 points and still look awful on defense. Yeah, maybe it was the short turnaround in terms of they obviously played Thursday night and were trying to change the defence. But there was a suggestion they were going to simplify things and it looked like Justin Herbert was playing against a college defence. There were guys wide open. They weren't getting any pressure on him. And had the Chargers had a better coaching team, this could have been even uglier. And it's it's the defence that's going to prevent the Raiders from getting to the postseason, sadly. Um, and then the Falcons, because this hasn't been a topic ever before, have a 17-point lead and completely piss it up the wall. Tom Brady ends up throwing for 390 yards in that game, which is the most he's thrown since the Super Bowl lost to the Philadelphia Eagles. So, you know, it took an almighty effort from the Bucks' offense to get them to where they were. But at the same time, hands up if you felt that that lead was ever actually safe. Oh, wait, no hands. What a surprise. It's the fourth loss of the season where they've had a 95% win probability. They are four and 10. They should be eight and six and they should be going to the playoffs. They need to get in some sort of like witch doctor or voodoo to kind of get rid of all this negative energy that's going around as soon as they're up in a game. I mean, the, pro- the, the big problem in this game was if you're ahead by 17 points, what you need to do is run the ball. They had 37 yards on the ground. I have a, a, fun, uh, a fun fact slash question for you both. So that means that Tom Brady, in the last three seasons, has had 11 games where he's been down by two touchdowns or more. And he has had only uh, comebacks in only two of those games. One was against the Falcons. I will give you one guess to name me the other team that he came back against and still won the game. Was it also the Falcons? It wasn't also the Falcons, but that would have been a good, good shout <laughs> Didn't he come back from two scores in the Super Bowl against Seattle? No, no since it's it last three years. Oh, sorry, right, yeah. Last three years, the other team who can't 
possibly win a game when they're up two scores. Oh, the Chargers. It's, of course, the Los Angeles Chargers. Uh, That's exactly who it was earlier this season. Let's talk about our likes, dislikes, unsung heroes of the weeks, and we'll look forward to some of the Christmas weekend games. Uh, Liam, let's start with you, something that we've not talked about that you liked. Derek Henry again, um, 139 yards. He's averaging 139 yards on the ground past four weeks. There was a, a stiff arm against the Lions defender, his, his name escapes me now, which he just like just dismissively thumped him onto the ground. And he is finding another gear now when running backs are, are kind of tailing off. We've talked before about his incredible conditioning and a, a little look ahead to what's going to be my game of the week. But I'm incredibly excited to see what he can do against that Packers defense, which I think soft and can be gashed on the ground. Uh, Simon? An absolute homer decision, uh, which is Salvon <laughs> Ahmed, the Dolphins running back, who was a undrafted free agent signed by the 49ers. And actually, I thought he fit the 49ers scheme really well with, with Bobby Turner, the amazing running back coach there. But the Dolphins rushed for 250 yards against a moribund New England defence, uh, and Ahmed had 123 of them, um, including a 31-yard burst in the second half. He, um, he has added something very uh, interesting to the run game. Uh, he was Miles Gaskin's backup at the University of Washington uh, and has actually probably outplayed him. He would be my unsung hero of the week. Really annoyingly, uh, I should have gone before Simon because I was going to talk about the Miami Dolphins rushing game. So I'll just throw in my one <laughs> stat that I had that he didn't say. 250 yards on the ground, yeah. the most the New England Patriots Mad. have ever given up under Bill Belichick. Delightful. Crazy. Delightful. Uh, that was an unsung hero. We had a like. Did anyone have any more they wanted to throw into the ring? Liam, I'm looking at you. Uh, Akeem Tlaib's suit as well. I, I do, you know, do you know what? Akeem Tlaib in general was fantastic at the weekend. Like, I really, yeah, really enjoyed him on comms. It was not, you know, it wasn't Tony Romo identifying plays before they happened and being all over it. But what he said was salient. He had some great points to make and he just had some personality. I thought he was a delight on that call. I'm not sure what category this falls into, but as we're all um, media people, I really liked the, and I'm interested to see what you guys think. I really liked the end zone handheld kind of 4K camera thing that they had in the uh, Washington Seattle game where it looked like it was kind of a video game thing. I thought that looked looked really cool and I'm, I'm all for that. Yeah, somebody uh, tweeted that into the show when we were doing it and I had to go and watch it back and it is great. And there were there was another one in the 49ers-Cowboys game where they used the Skycam on a on a rush that was just looked absolutely spectacular. It's like, the technology exists. Why not do cool things with it? Like, particularly in an age where we've not got fans in the stands and stuff, take the chance to do cool stuff. So yeah, good shout. Let's look forward to this week. I'm going to uh, just go immediately ahead and say that I intend to be absolutely... Stuff full of food, a human mess, collapsed onto the sofa. And even if it's not a great game, I'm looking forward to watching football late into the night on Christmas Eve while everyone is Christmas Day while everyone is asleep around me. So I'm going to pick Viking Saints as my game I want to watch this week. Uh, yeah, Packers Titans is kind of my standout game. I'm curious to see how this Titans team comes up against a, a really good team, perhaps the best team in the NFC. I think Derek Henry can absolutely demolish them on the ground. And I think. Yeah, that might be too much for the Packers to handle, but I'm just curious to see how Tennessee can cope against a really good, really good team because they're going to need to obviously step it up a level if they're going to beat the Chiefs in the playoffs. There might legitimately be 80 plus points in that game without the need for turnovers, kickover returns, uh, kickoff returns, the kind of things that normally give us those ridiculously high scoring games. You get 80 points purely on offense in that game. Such a test for Green Bay's defense as well. 
because that's what you're really looking for them to do. Green Bay haven't played particularly well at Lambeau. Uh, the game at the weekend or on Saturday night, I mean, the last seven possessions, they went punt, 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 field goal, punt. I mean, that's not necessarily what you want to see from a team that could be the NFC representative in the Super Bowl. So it'll be a huge test. But I suspect Derek Henry will have 175 plus yards in this game against the Packers. My game actually is from the Moribund NFC East, which is the uh, the Cowboys against the Eagles, just really to see Jalen Hurts. Everything is still open in terms of who could win that division. The Eagles were unlucky, I thought, to lose uh, the other night. I thought Hurts played really well against the Cardinals and um, just showed so much poise. I thought it was astonishing that Doug Peterson came out after the game and said, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sleep on who's going to be the starting quarterback next week. It's like, Doug, don't be ridiculous, mate clear that Jalen Hurts is the quarterback now moving forwards. And um, I think the Carson Wentz era in Philadelphia is drawing to a close pretty quickly. The man is an absolute clown. Um, <laughs> final mention, Monday Night Football, the day we get to see the Patriots have their first losing record in mm-hmm. 19 years. Come on, Buffalo, do it for us. The can Dolphins got the, the joy of knocking them out of the playoffs last week. Buffalo can get that joy next week, having won the AFC East for the first time in 25 years. And the Jets' time will come soon, Liam. I still believe. I, I will be wearing a, a Jaguars jersey that I'm hopefully going to get for Christmas, which I've asked for in the past two <laughs> days. Uh, so, yeah, come on. Did you, you must have seen that picture on social media of the Jets fan in a New York bar wearing a Jets Lawrence jersey just <laughs> devastated if you've not I'll, I'll forward it on it's oh, thanks mate yeah really really appreciate yeah. that yeah there was someone who bought a Darnold jersey like quite early into the whenever season it would have been 2017-18 and obviously that was remarkable really because the way they ended up picking and the way the draft fell um, and yeah obviously that worked out wonderfully so moving on can you photoshop Liam's head onto the guy in the bar <laughs> so, well he's got his back to you so as long uh, as you just make his hair look good then it'll be fine can I just give a shout out to Jordan Poyer of the Buffalo Bills, who is the most snubbed player, I think, in the history of the ridiculousness that is the Pro Bowl. Um, there were so many snubbed players. You look at Wyatt Teller and, and people like that. How the hell did it, Robert Tonyan, how the hell did Evan Ingram get into the Pro Bowl team? But, but Jordan Poyer has been the preeminent safety in the AFC this season, along with Justin Simmons of the Denver, Denver Broncos. And for him not to make the Pro, the, the Pro Bowl just underlines why fans are stupid and shouldn't be allowed into a, into a voting forum. It's why I don't like talking about it because I just think every year it's a nonsense. It makes me angry. It's a nonsense. All right, guys, top stuff. Uh, Merry Christmas to everyone. I hope you get to find joy in football this weekend, even if you weren't getting to have the Christmas that you maybe expected you were going to have. Uh, as always, do check out the stuff we're doing at UK Gridiron on Instagram and at Gridiron on Twitter as well. Subscribe to the YouTube channel, hit the notification button. If you're not watching this there, then oh, you're missing out on a visual delight. I promise you that. Otherwise, thank you so much for watching and listening. This has been The Gridiron Show. Merry Christmas, guys. Merry Christmas. Oh, Liam. Didn't even Happy say Merry Christmas. Christmas. Look at Liam's little face. <laughs>